Welcome to the Vita Foods Insights Podcast. Join us as we explore the latest in science and innovation, helping the global health and nutrition industry connect, develop, and progress. Today's host is Fraser Grice, conference producer. Hello, and welcome to the Vita Foods Insights podcast. I'm Fraser Grice at Vita Foods, and today I'm joined by Nick Morgan, uh, Managing Director and Founder of Sports Integrated and Nutrition Integrated. So Nick's a renowned expert in the sport, exercise and nutrition fields um, and works with a number of leading brands and businesses from across the supply chain on maximising the opportunities in sports and active nutrition primarily. Thanks for joining me today, Nick. No problem, Fraser. So just to kind of kick us off, um, tell us a little bit about your background and how the kind of concept of sports and nutrition integrated came about. Yeah, I suppose in, in, in a nutshell, my background is um, exercise physiology um, and nutrition, working with athletes, actually. So you could date me back to so 2004 and uh, helping some of the Paralympic teams and preparing for Athens. Um, so I used to work directly with athletes from a range of sports, ultimately to help them make them fitter. Um, um, as you would expect now with the backroom staff that you see in all the major teams and, and professional Olympic sports. Um, so that was good. I uh, really enjoyed it, um, but had the opportunity um, to go sort of take a sidestep into GlaxoSmithKline. Um, I followed uh, a mentor there um, into GSK to work on Lucas Sport, which was, I suppose, my first foray into industry um, and the application of, of science and nutrition and physiology into new product development. So I started at GSK for Lucas Sport and R&D, and then over time, found that I was more of a communicator of the science than working on the inception of new science or the funding of research as such. Um, so the the application and the communication of it was what the business valued. So I sort of became the scientist or the nutrition expert that sort of sat inside of the commercial teams. Um, and, that, and that was it, really. I spent three, five years there, I think, doing, doing that, um, working on how they developed and innovated and expressed and communicated around the products and then um, realized it was a very big business and decided to step out on my own and that was the birth of Sports Integrated which is effectively what I've been doing since which is consultancy in uh, innovation and the strategy of innovation for sports nutrition, active nutrition and lifestyle nutrition or to be honest whatever category you want or terms you want to use. A real kind of variety of different roles you've had throughout the years then. Yeah, I mean, naturally sequential, I suppose. The big step that was a little bit out of the blue was to go from elite sport into industry. Um, more and more people have done that, I think, over the last uh, few years. But for me at the time, I was still relatively young. Um, it was a bit of a, I hadn't really considered it. Um, but of, to be honest, the moment I stepped into the big shiny building that's GSK, I loved it um, and realized there was um, there was something pretty cool to be done. Um, in helping big businesses try to make the best products possible, um, and that 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 really is still as exciting today as it as it was back then. Absolutely, um, and at Sports Integrated, um, who are the kind of main people you you work with then? Um, 
Well, across the supply chain, in truth. Um, so brands, so those literally, you know, uh, B2C um, who are providing uh, products directly online or, or in retail, principally around sports nutrition has always been the, the mainstay of the work. Now, that, of course, has evolved so that a sports nutrition brand has as much active nutrition type products and, and so on. Um, but then if you work along the supply chain, we've done projects for for co-manufacturers, for ingredient suppliers, um, uh, for uh, retailers and, and so on. And effectively, I kind of summarize it as people either want to get into the market, do better in the market or want to know where they go next in the market. So get in, do better, where next. Um, and that's what we help them do. And we, we form the bridge between the product, the science that underpins a product, um, how the category is evolving and how that inter interacts with the consumer. Um, and and it, it, it's it's really exciting a play really um, I suppose by definition we've become uh, industry experts um, I suppose that's for the external audience to decide really in truth but um, that's the sort of the role that we play to help people understand uh, the products and how they're evolving um, and the sports nutrition active nutrition market is evolving and has done now at a pace that is pretty meteoric which means that there's plenty of uh, pretty good conversations to have and is it, um, your business primarily European-centric or do you operate in other kind of regions as well? Um, I suppose primarily Europe, isn't it? But um, no, we've got projects further afield. We spend quite a lot of time in the US now or did prior to traveling. But projects-wise, we still do. Um, and we've done some further afield as well globally um, into, into Australia. Um, and also, of course, you can't ignore Asia, which is such a, an, an interesting area. Um, and is following a curve of interest on, on sports nutrition. So we have a, a global footprint, um, uh, which keeps things interesting because, of course, people are looking to learn from each other across the globe um, and understand how the trends uh, evolve at different paces or which ones influence who. And, and, and um, a lot of brands now are not just so domestic into one, into one market. They're, they're across multiple markets, and, and that challenges or provides complexities to innovation which people want to know more about um and and yeah so that's i don't think you can solely be just now one geography anymore and i guess working on that global scale gives you the opportunity to to get even more data and even more insights uh into the markets um which kind of brings me on to the next kind of topic of conversation in which you have developed your own um, database from scratch, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it was not something I'd necessarily had written down on the on the business plan, or uh, it's you know three years ago I'd even considered. Um, but we have. Um, we had a project where we were sort of doing a competitive review in bars, prim principally in the UK, but taking in Europe, and we put some data into an Excel spreadsheet. Um, we all pat each other on the back and high five and said, that's amazing. Um, uh, realized very quickly that, you know, the insights you could glean from it were primitive at best. Um, and it really wasn't fit for purpose. And in fact, people forgot about it. It doesn't stay up to date, does it? And so um, it just made me realize that there was um, that that competitive data in itself on the Excel spreadsheet wasn't really easily available in other areas. Um, and that therefore, we should turn it into something a bit bigger and better in a, an Excel spreadsheet with, I don't know, 40 brands on it and, you know, 100 products or something turned into a database with 8,000 8, products, um, which is quite a big change. Um, 
And yeah, it's been a roller coaster along the way. But I tell you what, a lot of fun um, because principally the the whole business has been born out of a, a need for the data um, because I needed it to do my work. And so if I needed it, I felt then that must be uh, justification enough that others might need it. Absolutely. And do you find that most of the brands that you work with, um, you know, get use out of this database in, in, in forming their business decisions? Well, that's the whole point um, to help people inform their their business decisions um, with something that's um, objective um, and and accurately replays back to them what does the current landscape of in this instance bars but we have other data sets as well um, looks like um, and and that that's that's ultimately what we're we're trying to achieve it's not easy to do um, and we're actually you also need businesses not to to really want to to look at data and, and mine it appropriately. Um, you know, having access to data or, or statistics doesn't necessarily mean to say you'll make the right decisions either. Um, and so it's not just the provision of data and making it available. It's actually the way people can interact with it, the way it's communicated to them, um, that is really important to ensure that, that the information that they take from it is is really useful. Um, and so it's not just data itself. It's it's it, There is a the soft humanization touch that goes around it, which is still really, really important. Most of us probably can't even comprehend what it takes to develop a database with th that many products in it. But what were the kind of main challenges that you came across when you were, were devising it? Honestly, uh, loads of headaches along the way. Um, but some of the best discussions I've probably ever had um, because it, it, it challenges so much. Now, the obvious ones are, well, where do you get the data from? And is it scalable to collect that data? And how does it stay up to date over time? Um, you know, how sensitive is it to um, new product launches? How often do products go out the market? Do you capture that? What if it's a change in product that they don't tell you about? So they've just changed a slight ingredient that's not a full innovation launch. All of these things are really interesting challenges. Um, but probably the most interesting one that has been a real challenge is just um, how you define uh, products, how you categorize them, how you tag them. Um, effectively all that's done so that you can group products for aggregation purposes so you can you know you can look at a group of products and say that's a trend for that group and and you can look at analysis at different levels and you need to be able to do that so you can cut and dice the data appropriately um, that only works if your definitions are um, relevant um, which by the way the market evolves over time so that's a challenge that they're scalable so that they work across maybe geographies or different types of product types um, and it, it just makes it really fascinating. And I can't begin to tell you how many times that you think you've nailed it. And then something comes along and he just goes, oh, my God, that product doesn't fit. Now, that sometimes just says that product is an anomaly um, or that you're desperately trying to force fit certain products into certain groups. Um, and sometimes you do. Um, and there are compromises to be made along the way, which we try to give people a good understanding of, because I think that's part of good data transparency. Um, but I, I guess if I was to summarize, you know, the one thing we've learned along the way is that I can't believe how, um, I suppose, blindly trustworthy I was of data prior to doing this. Um, um, I couldn't believe how much I was. And that's not to say there's a need to distrust data at all. Don't, don't take that um, by any stretch of the imagination. It's just more so that um, you see a stat and you go, bloody hell, that sounds good. I'll run with that. 
Um, <laughs> but actually, what lies beneath the stats in terms of how it's presented, aggregated, um, the means, the modes, the medians, the bin sizes, everything that goes underneath that affects how that could be interpreted. Um, and it, it never occurred to me before. Um, and I really hope more people could learn the same things that we've learned because uh, I think it would make people um, use data more appropriately. Absolutely. And this kind of brings me on to the next point. Um, where you, the other week, I think it was last week, you wrote an article called The Death of Sports Nutrition, um, which I think you described as somewhat inflammatory. <laughs> um, and obviously uh, a gripping headline. But what is that exactly that you, you meant by this? Yeah, just, I mean, I suppose just that. Um, sports nutrition is a buzzword. It's a really important market. It's had a phenomenal growth. And, and, I, and I truly believe it still continues to grow. Um, it is stereotyped um, to being, a, you know, a core consumer and, and so on. And, um, and everyone asks and talks about sports nutrition going mainstream, which I think is um, a very important thing to ask and understand. Um, so we, from the outset, really always assumed we would use sports nutrition to, to group uh, bars. I mean, why wouldn't you? There's loads of sports nutrition brands all have bars. So presumably they'd all be grouped under sports nutrition. You could have a look at what sports nutrition bars look like and so on. Um, the reality is that when you break those bars down and you look at the dynamics of the market, that as a term and as a as a category or as a definition or as a term really just didn't work anymore you you ended up in this really horrible scenario of well is that sports nutrition or is it not sports nutrition and and then what is it that defines sports nutrition and and this is really in some instances just can be seen as boring data tagging related issues but i suppose what's fascinating is is more about what it meant um, in the broader picture. And basically what it meant is that sports nutrition through the lens of bars, I must caveat that with, um, was just becoming increasingly less relevant. And, and the bars that, um, that are on the market may be protein and they may come from typically sports nutrition brands, but they're not um, necessarily bought or sold, communicated or positioned as sports nutrition would normally be termed as. Um, and therefore the term really wasn't fit for purpose and if we'd used that data uh, that term within the database then we would be giving i believe um data that wouldn't be relevant or could be potentially misinterpreted um and would miss the entire point of the growth of healthy snacking and and that really was it and so it might be seen as a data issue or bigger than that maybe there is a bigger challenge for sports nutrition as a market and and that's there for everyone to probably discuss and debate further. Absolutely. And I think um, with the sports nutrition market the way it is, it's almost like a trickle-down effect um, whereby you see all the innovation within the market and then it kind of becomes available to the mass market. And at what point do those products enter, um, exit the sports nutrition category um, if, if they ever do? What was it that you ended up categorising the bars as? Was it healthy snacking um, or was there a number of categories that you ended up putting them in? Um, well, interestingly, what you end up doing is you try to use terms and categories that are, are a lot more objective. So we'd define bars based on actually what they were. So if it was a protein bar or a nutrition bar, a cereal bar, um, and so on. And, and there are terms that do work reasonably well. There are bars that are clearly defined as weight management, and there's there's clearly bars positioned to breakfast that that we we have. Um, 
and similarly there are for endurance bars as well um, but actually sports nutrition as a term just doesn't doesn't work so we you can cut and dice the data by searching for protein bars cut and dice it using different claims you can search by brands or group by brands as well so we we have a much more let's just say i would say an intuitive approach to how you find the bars accordingly um, but what we don't do is only present bars under the term of sports nutrition because I, I honestly hand and heart couldn't tell you whether we'd got it right or not um, and what w would or could or should have fitted into that term. Um, and and it really it really asked the question as to when you see data presented under sports nutrition, well, where does where does that definition start and stop for that report? Um, it's probably defined somewhere in the report anywhere, but um, I think a lot of the growth is is attributed to um, categories and products that um, that really challenge the original definition of sports nutrition. And, and and so, what do you think this implies for the future of the category? My point in the article is that it's the principles of sports nutrition that have gone mainstream. So protein or high protein is everywhere and it's in foods and all sorts. So sports nutrition was really one of the first industries to drive high protein for, for the benefits of muscle mass and, and so on. And now people understand it's got that those benefits plus broader um, and, and therefore protein has gone mainstream not necessarily sports nutrition per se. I don't think people are necessarily buying products for the purposes of um, ne necessarily getting uh, a bigger muscles as such. Mm. Uh, so sports nutrition was and still is um, an amazingly, you know, strong uh, category, not albeit not without its challenges. But many of its principles have become adopted by a broader audience, which raises an amazing opportunity for people to grab hold of that. Um, the question really is, is about can traditional sports nutrition brands um, get hold of that opportunity? Can they adapt and evolve? And do they have permission to talk to consumers who want to eat high protein products, but not necessarily um, feel like they're consuming sports nutrition because that's not why they're consuming it? So um, and if you really look probably at the in bars, a lot of the bars again that have been successful don't really have any history or heritage of being sports nutrition brands they're just doing incredibly great tasting high protein low sugar bars and and some of the sports nutrition brands the ones that most people talk about have really evolved so much so that arguably they really aren't sports nutrition anymore anyway so they've almost proven this point um and and i think that gets to the crux of it which is um I don't think sports nutrition has gone mainstream necessarily uh, at all. I think the principles have um, and the skill is deciding how that's going to be communicated to consumers because their consumption is probably in the most instance not to do with sport or exercise and definitely not performance anymore. Absolutely. And is there any other kind of categories um, from your research that you can see going the kind of same way as the, the bars have, the protein bars have? Um, really good question, principally because what bars have done is, is that they really are a mainstream consumption format. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I think people have consumed bars for forever and arguably that's, well, it is a much bigger market beyond sports nutrition anyway. So, um, you know, the, the functional bar, the better for you bar is really what's caused that disruption on an already existing mainstream bar market. And I think that's probably something that people have to be really clear on in terms of other areas that sports nutrition 
um, would probably look at, I mean, I think people are fascinated with drinks, of course. Um, lots of discussion to have on protein drinks, particularly um, yeah, shakes and whether they've ever truly had a mainstream appeal. But, you know, everyone's excited about waters and I can totally undersee, understand why that would be the case. Um, and then you look at brands like Noco and, and branch chain amino acids, um, you know, challenging sort of conventional energy drinks. They're not really energy drinks, of course, and energy is a bit of a, a bastardized word, really. Um, but, you know, uh, those branch chain amino acid, protein sort of in cans, sparkling are, are really interesting as well. I would say, though, you know, as trends go, Fraser, it's really interesting in that, um, I suppose we've probably talked about those now for quite some time. So in that sense, um, I think they're front of mind. The thing that we tend to look at for trends or that I'm interested in is the outliers that we find in our database. Um, and that's what I find probably the most interesting is when we see brands doing things that are just a little bit different or you find a product that you just go, oh, my God, I didn't even realize I'd seen that before. Um, and, and instead of looking for trends, um, which I think – the way that the industry does that at the moment is quite it's really quite obvious what the trends are to a degree is um is to look at what the outliers are um and they can give huge indications of what can be achieved or ideas that people have that maybe just need um a little bit of further curation by by other brands or other people has there been any specific um anomalies if you will um, that you've seen most recently? Well, I, I mean, the way that if I keep it even in the bars, because that's the area that we've got probably our, we spend most of our time in, but we, we you know, we're working on drinks and the tropics, gaming and a few other areas. Um, but if I think of bars, there are a number of sort of white space opportunities that everyone writes down, and that's to do with things like um, sugar alcohols or polyols, um, whether you can make certain things natural, how do you do all of this and keep low number of ingredients? Um, and um, we continue to write down things where we like that no bar can achieve this unless it does X, Y, and Z. And then every now and again, you stumble across a bar and you'd be like, holy, where the hell does that one come from? And you realize that some bars do exist in certain spaces, but there might there may only be one or two of them. And I think it reminds me that um, they can be achieved. Um, I don't know whether they taste any good. I think that's really important in bars. But these, what you find is these outliers um, are really interesting. And, and it might not be that they need to be copied. It might be that they need to be developed further. Um, and so I guess that's the other thing about data is that data honestly normally tells people, you know, what are the majority doing? And that if it's 75% of something means that we should all do it because 75% is a good stat. Um, but actually, sometimes it's as important to look at what the less than 1% are doing. In, in the current climate, that's viewed as not successful. Um, arguably, that is exactly what a trend is, which is a, which is a shot in the dark that no one knows about yet. And it's about how you view those outliers, which will determine whether you think that could be the next trend. Because um, if everyone just reads trend data, then everyone's reading what's already public. It's about finding what's not public or what's hidden beneath the surface. Um, and that's the challenge. And that's where, you know, we're trying to produce data that demonstrates the aggregated overarching insight. That's great, isn't it? What you really want to do is spend as much time looking at the outliers. Um, and that would present where um, people can get really excited and strategic about what comes next.
just to to kind of wrap things up, um, have you got any kind of new initiatives coming in the coming months? It never stops, really. We obviously want to continue to develop the quality of our bar database. By that, I mean, you know, um, grow the different types of analysis we can offer on it and the, the interaction that people can get from it, which is important. Then you would bring on new data sets. So we're, we're working on that at the moment, which is um, which is good. And sometimes we just go and collect data bespokely because people like us to go and do that. Um, and so those would be those would be the two big things for us um, um and and i suppose we'd like to drive a bit of agenda to 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 help people understand what lies beneath a stat a little bit so i want to tell more people about what it takes to build a database not because that's necessarily interesting but just because the, the learnings along the way have been wow so important to how i view any data i see whether it's to do with our industry or not i suppose the biggest the biggest takeaway is for people to um, to maybe ask more questions about their data providers, not for through uh, the lens of distrust or anything like that, because for sure most data is really good. But the more you understand how it's being created, the more you can see or interpret it with a, a greater degree of um, accuracy, I believe. And that that's really the fundamental point is for people to try to challenge more about what underpins it because I think it will change the way they interpret it um, and that's really probably uh, a, a key key closing message. Well Nick it's been great hearing about all your insights uh, around data and the, and the sports nutrition market and it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you.